This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 32 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you'd like to read along, you can find that in the Book of Praise, and it's on page 548. Then we move from to the third part of the Catechism, following also the division of the, the Book of Romans, which starts with our sins and misery, and then our second part, our deliverance, and now into our thankfulness. And here the church confesses the following questions and answers. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. The word impenitent in the question, ungrateful, and then impenitent. Impenitent means refusing to repent. The call then is that we may repent. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we read the word misery again in the question that we just read together. We saw it in the first Lord's Day and here it is again. And misery is a very powerful word. And what, do you, what do you think of when you hear that word? I think of the very sick and poor people sometimes see foraging for food in dumps, poor countries, often ravaged by brain-killing addictions and hopeless desperation, even though there are thriving businesses just blocks away. Or I think perhaps all the human beings that are caught in the crossfire of political ideologies and wars those who are being used and violated and mutilated and discarded. I also think of the miserable end of society's celebrities who must face the consequences of a life of loose living with family fights and addiction and loneliness and longing to commit suicide. Misery is a word that is connected to hopelessness and worthlessness, desperation that is caused by broken relationships, fear. Misery is a powerful word. It's often depicted in the Psalms that we sing. And the Psalms talk about those situations when there are enemies all around, attacking and laughing at your failures, ridiculing the believer. 
So when Christians rejoice in the fact that they have been delivered from misery, then we use that word misery to describe that desperate feeling of hopelessness and fear of judgment that people who are unloved and who are condemned experience. And although we may still suffer in this life, the gospel is that those who have been set free from eternal condemnation have been and will always be loved by God. Whenever Christians talk about their lives, they may start with that beautiful statement that we had in question 86. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone, through Christ, without any merit of our own. That's an amazing starting point to our day, especially when we understand how holy God is and how undeserving of the statement we are. You could picture that difference between misery and deliverance. The difference between well-nourished, jealously protected and loved citizens of an eternal kingdom wearing white, clean robes, joyfully singing as a big, happy family of friends in the shining light of God's holiness compared to that lonely, bedraggled, confused, broken, afraid, unloving slaves of the prince of darkness. That's where we stand. The not miserable. The, those wearing the white robes of Christ's righteousness. The scriptures are so very clear. First Thessalonians 5 verse 9 says that you, dear Christian, are not destined for wrath, but for salvation. Christ has redeemed you by his blood. And he says in John 5 verse 24 that you have crossed from eternal death into eternal life. You are citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. And God himself is working in you to renew you to be his image. Romans 8 verse 29. That's why you do good works. Because of what God has made you to be. It's God working thankfulness in your heart to assure you of your faith to serve your neighbor as faithful citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Christians and, and only Christians do good works because that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. We read that in Romans 14 verse 17. The kingdom of heaven is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We need to reflect on those words, those descriptions of the kingdom that we are a part of. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is a matter of righteousness because we serve a holy, holy, holy God. God created us to live with him in this holiness and fellowship with him. And we can only live in this heavenly home for righteousness if we are not busy rebelling against him with our sins. And the problem is that every single person on the earth, all conceived and born in sin and inclined to hate God and our neighbor, every person is unable to obey God's law, to earn salvation by our merits. 
the, the children in catechism instruction right now are right around Lord's Day 5, where they go through those questions. Can any mere creature pay for us? Can we ourselves make this payment? And the answer is no, no. If we are to experience the righteousness that characterizes that kingdom of heaven as citizens, we need a substitute to pay the penalty for the sins we commit and a substitute to offer up that perfect righteousness to God in our place. And the gospel message is that God sent that substitute, his own son, our mediator, Jesus Christ. He brings righteousness to everyone whom God brought to his kingdom. This is pictured in the scripture as as giving us white robes to wear. Whenever you see somebody wearing all white, you know that they are celebrating. It points to being clean. Christ Jesus not only paid for the sins of believers by dying on the cross, but he obeyed the commandments in the place of everyone to whom God has granted faith. And our faith unites us to Christ so that we can share in all his benefits. So his robe of righteousness becomes our robe of righteousness. And so we glitter in Christ. The kingdom of heaven is a matter of the righteousness of Jesus Christ which satisfies God's justice. The doctrine of Christ's substitute righteousness delivers us from the misery of spending our lives trying to earn God's favor by doing enough good works. The kingdom of heaven is not a place where the citizens have to spend their time fearing the wrath of our holy God who is a consuming fire. We do not have to live in the constant uncertainty whether we have done enough to please Him. Maybe you've been listening to some instruction on the Reformation or read some books lately and, and you know this refers to Luther's life before he was converted. The kingdom of heaven is not about checking boxes, gaining enough merits to convince God that we are worthy to spend eternity with Him. It's not a matter of rules that serve as conditions for the judgment of others, that we are sufficiently orthodox, like Paul is urging in chapter 14, verse 13. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of earning God's favor by what we eat or don't eat or drink or don't drink. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8, food does not bring us nearer to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. God's grace is not a partial grace that depends on our cooperation and performance of a sufficient number of good works. Christ's righteousness is the only thing that counts for us. That white robe he gives to you, dear Christian, covers over everything that we have done, whether good or bad. The kingdom of heaven is a matter of Christ, and Christ alone. And watch out, then, brothers and sisters, that we do not put the emphasis in our Christian lives on the good things we do, or for that matter, the bad things 
that we do, as if God will only love us if we first love him. Remember this next time you bring your kids to the bus stop or to a Christian school, which you sacrifice a lot of your time and money for. Remember this when you seek to do those Christian things. Reading the Bible, praying, those are, those are good things. But it should not be compared to studying for a test that you need to pass. We don't read the Bible because we think that God has his arms folded and is making sure that you are doing everything you need to do in order to get into heaven. Rather, Christian education, praying, reading the Bible, worshiping with believers under the preaching of the word, they're actually more to be compared to driving the new car that someone gave to you. You can imagine that. Someone says, here is a new car. You can, you can drive it. It's a Volkswagen Beetle. Drive it to your heart's content. You have the car. And now it's about enjoying it. Driving the car. It's a matter of thankfulness. You're receiving it. You're, you're enjoying the gift. That's what reading the Bible and praying and, and, and living the Christian life is about. It's a discovery of all that Christ has already obtained for us. It's enjoyment. Your desire to worship the Lord, these these good deeds that you are doing, reveals what God has already done in His grace before the foundation of the world, before you were born. It's what He has given to you. And so if you live, if you receive that gift, you're doing good works. So let us start each day in Christ. Start every day saying, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Everything I have, I have received. You see, God's grace extends beyond just rescuing us. We we confess that too, having been redeemed by his blood, he also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. The Holy Spirit is constantly bringing us nearer to the Lord. The Holy Spirit whom Christ sent to dwell in our hearts leads us in such a way that not only do we we want to live in fellowship with God, but that we also begin to do the things that keep us in his presence not just receiving the car, but we begin to enjoy all the features. Christ has given us the white robes so we can be in the presence of God. And the Spirit leads us to enjoy the honor and the privileges. That's the righteousness and the integrity that the saints of the Old Testament, like Job, talked about when they pointed to their own lives. That's what we're going to sing about in Psalm 26. We will sing, I have led a blameless life. We will sing, I am innocent. And we'll also explain in our song that this obedience and this blamelessness means that we have constantly trusted in God. We have relied on His grace and his steadfast love. We are, we're standing, the psalm ends, on, on the firm 
and level ground of Christ's finished work. And the point is, the struggle for holiness, the seeking of forgiveness, that prayer of forgiveness that we offer up to the Lord, that's the prayer of the blameless. Those who are completely dependent on God's grace. That keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Those are the righteous deeds of the saints that are being worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We can point to this work of the Holy Spirit in our redeemed lives. and We can praise Him for what He is doing in our hearts. In fact, we show disdain for the Holy Spirit when we say that we cannot do anything good. Is the Holy Spirit that weak? He is renewing our hearts, our lives, our minds. It's true that God doesn't take these things into account. His righteous deeds are like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. He doesn't take them to account when he decided to save us. But it's not true to say that they are not important. It's the work of the Holy Spirit It's the work of God in our lives. And so we say, while the kingdom of heaven is primarily a matter of Christ's righteousness, which was necessary for his perfect relationship with his Father and beneficial for every believer in Christ to whom it was imputed, the kingdom of heaven is also a matter about our own hunger and thirst for righteousness in our lives, that constant drawing near to the Lord, which allows us to more fully experience the relationship with God that we have in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is not just hearing about what God has revealed, just being told that we have been revealed, uh, redeemed, but it is also enjoying what Christ has obtained for us. Our holiness, our good works have a place in the kingdom of heaven among those who have been saved. That's why Christians who have been delivered from their misery by grace alone will always want to do good works. The good news is that as we draw near to the holy creator of heaven and earth through the Son, Jesus Christ, being led by God the Spirit in the service of Christ, we will also see that the kingdom of heaven is a matter of peace. Peace with God and with our neighbor. That's one of those things that everybody longs for deep down in their hearts. But it's also one of those things that we may feel are the most difficult things to achieve. The greeting shalom or peace to you spoken all over the world as a kind wish for citizens in a dark and a miserable world. But very few who receive that greeting will ever experience it. Well, the gospel message of our text is that this peace with God and our neighbor has been obtained by our Lord Jesus Christ. By grace alone it is given to us without any merit of our own. Peace with God and our neighbor is not something people can achieve, but it is something that citizens of the kingdom of heaven receive. In Romans 14, verse 18, we read, whoever thus serves Christ 
is acceptable to God and approved by men. Those who serve Christ are, are, are all those who have been joined to Christ's body by the gift of faith and who walk in that renewing work of the Holy Spirit in service to Jesus Christ. When we focus on the righteousness that Christ has given to all believers, we will also be able to rest in the peace of knowing that whatever people's opinions may be, we who serve Jesus Christ are acceptable, pleasing to God. There's great peace in knowing that those who serve Christ are acceptable, pleasing to God. And we all want to be accepted. There are a few things that hurt us more than when we are deliberately excluded. Think of the birthday parties that you weren't invited to when you were growing up. Think of that time when everybody was standing in their circles and you didn't have a circle. And no one wanted you to play on their team. You're the last one sitting there waiting. We also want others to be proud of us, to respect us for who we really are. Relationship between children and parents, a husband and a wife, fellow members of the church. When we bear the scars of hurts that are done to us by wicked people who have abused us or belittle us, we might think it's impossible to be pleasing to anyone. But hear the gospel, Jesus Christ. Through him we have peace with God, the creator of heaven and earth, acceptable to him. The whiteness of the robes of the righteousness of Christ. They speak of our peace with God, our innocence in his sight. And that means, brothers and sisters, that we can hear God's voice in his word could see his handiwork in creation. We can look at those things and say, that's, that's my Father's work. Everyone who belongs to Christ's body can speak to God in prayer, in the name of Jesus Christ, certain that we are accepted and acceptable and we will be heard. Do you pray like that, brothers and sisters? Do you pray with that confidence of your Savior, Jesus Christ, Standing before the Father, presenting your words to a Father who loves you. You may stand before his throne confident, unashamed. You who belong to Christ, you're washed clean in in his blood, redeemed in his blood. You're guided by the Spirit to seek to serve him in the kingdom of heaven, you are acceptable to God. You are pleasing to your heavenly Father. He delights in your life. We're so thankful to live in, in this grace and this compassion and these embracing arms that we love doing good works. We love responding to his love. There's no must needed for us. Not why must we do 
good works. But why do we have this privilege of being able to walk with God with our heart and soul and mind and strength? We want to do good work. We want to praise God for all eternity. We sang that in Psalm 63. I, God, for you I thirst. I languish. But describe your weak Describe the motivation for, for the decisions that you make at work or at school. And then we rejoice to see how living in this peace with God, it leads to, to peace with others around us, makes us pleasant. We're acceptable to God so that we can be pleasant, pleasing to our neighbor. Romans 14, verse 18, speaks of, of that as well. Acceptable to God and approved by men. And then, and then that declaration, that indicative, leads to the, the command, the urging, the imperative of verse 19. So then, being in that peace, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Well, maybe... Maybe when you came to church this afternoon, there was someone that you didn't want to talk to. You didn't want to talk to them because you can't bear with their failings. Maybe you have that at school, or maybe you have that when all the parents get together for school meetings. It's good to read Romans 15, verses 1 to 3. Again, brothers and sisters, open that up. Have that in front of you. Romans 15, verses 1 to 3. Speaking in the context of the kingdom of heaven as a place of peace, it says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And notice how the reason for the command in verse 2 is found in verse 3. The kingdom of heaven is a matter of being like Christ. Treating your neighbor like Christ did. So after the service today, we will have a time for, for fellowship. Maybe instead of just talking to your friends or, or those safe people you get along with, today is a day to talk to someone else as a peacemaker. Not just today. There are other days of the week too. Think about that. On Monday and Tuesday? Are we giving room for others to grow and learn? Are we patient with those who lag behind? Are we condemning of another person's servant, as Paul says at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 4? Although there is uniformity in our common adherence to the Scriptures, the kingdom of heaven is not about doing everything the same. You see, not every ch child sees life the same way. 
Some are tempted to turn away from the Lord by one activity, like eating and, and drinking. While others are tempted to turn away for another reason. You could think of idolatry, idolatry of sports. In our service to Christ, we will emphasize different things. Our pursuit of holiness takes different roads. But the non-negotiables for those who are led by the Spirit is the need to be guided by God's Word together to thank God for the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been imputed to us and to walk in love with a humble spirit. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of your opinion about how other servants should fulfill their God-given mandate in the world. Rather, the kingdom of heaven is about seeking to honor God with your own life, to live in peace with Him by seeking to live in harmony with everyone. Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. Peace in the kingdom does not depend on uniformity of practice. Christ welcomes everyone who keeps in step with the Spirit. And so we read in verse 7 of chapter 15, Therefore, that's the conclusion, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The kingdom, life, is like being Christ-like. Now you may be wondering what this has to do with Lord's Day 32, but our confession comes back when people don't want to show love to their neighbor. They might ask that question in that context. They might say, if we're saved by grace, and Christ has done everything, and the kingdom is about righteousness and peace with God, why must we do such things? What's the purpose of humbling myself or humbly approaching another person? What's the purpose of recognizing the mutual upbuilding and congregational harmony What's the purpose of recognizing that walking in love is more important than letting everybody know how right you are? Well, we can answer that question by asking another question. It's the same question. If no one can separate me from my family, the bloodlines cannot be denied, why should I do things that make it pleasant for my family? Why should I be kind to my wife? I'm married for life. Why should I be kind to my brothers and sisters and my family? It's not like if I don't do these things, my last name will just change. Well, the same answer applies to both. God has put us in this place. God has given us all these privileges and riches. God commands us to enjoy what he has given, and doing these things is good for ourselves and good for our neighbor. They're also very pleasing to God. That brings us into the joy of the kingdom. So here we are, we're living in peace with, with the creator of heaven and earth. We know that nothing can separate us from his love. We have hope for this life and the life to come. He is the God who, who fills his children, with his joy and with his peace in believing. So that, as we read in Romans 15, verse 13, it was displayed on the, on the screen as we came in today as well, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 
that hope that brings us joy because it's an expectation of, of things that will certainly happen. We live in this peace with the certainty of eternal glory in the arms of our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. That's the joy. It's confirmed promises, Romans 15, verse 8. And then he gave an example in verses 9 to 12, just like he said to the Gentiles, so, so it happened. And then we see it, the white robes of righteousness and that signify righteousness before God and, and peace together as, as God's people. They also signify the joy that we have in our hearts. That eternal praise. You look at Re- Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17. You can read that when you get home. It, it speaks of all that multitude, all wearing the white robes, singing praise to God. That's the kingdom. And our song are those good deeds. And then you see it's kind of silly to ask why. Why must we do them? Joy is the natural, only possible reaction to the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is a matter of joy. And this joy is that deep down one. It's founded on the hope which guarantees that any difficult things we are facing are only temporary. This is the joy that our sister Diane had right to the very end. fight against sin is temporary. The sorrow of illness and death is temporary. The misery caused by poverty, war, violence, the fall into sin, that's temporary. The joy prevails in the tears because it's more than just mere happiness and a smile. It's connected to being content and full in the abundant life we have in Christ. As he leads us nearer to the king, we have righteousness, Peace and joy. Amen.